Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are back to talk about another impressive win from Tottenham Hotspur. It is a 1-0 win against Wolves, and I am joined, as per usual, by all my regular co-hosts. Before we get to that, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, and follow us on Twitter at WDR podcast that's wdr as in wheeler dealer radio now without any further ado joining me from the wilds the uncivilized wilderness of east atlanta it is ben daniels ben how are you how are you recording without any power down there yeah just struggling to survive the dangerous mean streets of atlanta <laughs> i mean that part might be true depending on where you live yeah. there Actually, there was a shooting at the liquor store we go to tonight, so <laughs> it is a little dicey around here. By you, or? I mean, I'm on a podcast. This is admissible as evidence, Greg, so I'm not going to admit to anything. Fair enough. Fair Brian, enough. as my lawyer, please speak for me. Yeah. I would just say that only cowards plead the fifth, so you should definitely not do that. Brian uh, Ashlock coming to us from, I presume, Miami, but can you account for your whereabouts? Uh, not at this time, uh, and I won't be taking questions, so um, we can move on. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on to our uh, win against Wolves. <clears throat> Tottenham won 1-0 at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, I think there's been a little bit of uh, chicken little-ing around this game with Spurs fans. Uh, this is the second game in a row Spurs haven't looked great. I think, personally, comparing this to the Chelsea game is a little off uh you know this is a game where i don't think spurs look great but i would also say we never look second best brian what was your how did you feel about tottenham's performance in this match is 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 there cause for concern um i i guess for me the concern is going to be related to again just the the managerial decisions that kind of led us to having to grind out a one nil victory against a team that hasn't really played that well this season. But like overall in terms of uh, getting, getting players into fitness, um, you know, incorporating uh, Perisic at the very least into the team. uh, I I thought fine. Um, You know, uh, I would have liked more, adventurous play more you know passing from the midfield perhaps um but like uh our set piece coach is uh really paying uh really paying off so uh i think going forward uh we can expect a, a lot of set piece goals and um that's nice ben did you see any through lines between this and the chelsea match yeah i think you know wolves set out to contain us not similarly um, to Chelsea, but 
did similarly give our center backs a lot of time on the ball to make plays and, you know, be the architects of turning defense into attack. And once again, they just came up very short. And with Davinson in there, it was just very apparent that he was just not up to it when it comes to passing the ball. And, you know, credit to him. He was not a liability in defense, which he has been in the past. Um, he defended pretty confidently and, like, had a pretty good defensive game. But, you know, we just I – mean, we talk about this every week. We just depend so much on those outside center backs to help move the ball. And and we're cutting it again. Um, so I think that is the big through line. Is like we once again just sort of struggled to – build any head of steam because we just couldn't move the ball well. Well, I think there's two things going on here. I think you're right. We weren't moving the ball as well as we could have. And I think you can really point a lot of that to Romero. And if you're going to take Romero out of the team, that might be why you want to see a guy like Clement Longley playing on the other side, who might not be the ideal center back, but certainly he can play those passes, whatever else you want to say about him. And two, I'm not sure this game goes the way it does if Son and, to a lesser extent, Kane aren't in such a rut right now. I mean, I think Son gets on the end of some passes or makes some moves that he would that we more typically associate with him. I think this is, I think this game looks a lot different. And I think what's really interesting to me about this game is, for all, I think Wolves had a lot of success at pressing us in a way that didn't really let us play the way we wanted to, but unlike some games, many under Conte, where we've seen a team do that, at no point did I ever feel like we were second best. I mean, yeah, they had a couple pops um, from long distance, and that makes you nervous in the way that, like, you know, we're all Spurs fans. We've all seen our team give up an undeserving goal, um, you know, from a long-range shot, but... You know, I feel like we've seen versions of this game where, like, oh, we're not creating anything, we're under siege, we're defending well, but they're creating chances. I mean, they weren't. I mean, that's the second. I mean, that's the second game in a roll row where we haven't really been playing as well as we'd liked, but at the same time, we're not giving up a lot of chances, and I think we are defending well. And you know, I mean, some of that it's wolves. I don't want to get too carried away with that, but we did it against Chelsea too. I I, I think. Like I said, I think if you have a better passing center back in there, when Kane and Son are a little more on form, I think this is a different match. Obviously, those are not things you want to have to rely on. Uh, But as we'll come to it later, I thought we looked... I I mean, I think the whole team was looking more threatening in the second half, but I also think Richarlison really helped. I think he really helped change the game a little bit in the way he was taking on players and moving the ball up the pitch. It was... You know, it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag performance. Uh, but, you know, as we've never said on this podcast before, you know, winners just find ways to grind out results. So uh, I don't think that's actually true. But yeah, I don't know. It, it was a very it, it, it's a very mixed bag performance. And I think because we've seen a struggle against teams like this before and concede a lot of possession and chances, I think a lot of us default to that feeling, even though I'm not sure that is true. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If there's one thing you can take away from all of our games is that our defensive structure is really well organized. And even when we're conceding shots, we're not conceding good shots. And, you know, like Wolves have like 20 shots on the day. And you're always at a risk of like some long range pot shot going in and upending the whole whole game plan. But, you know, by and large, it felt very comfortable um, in the back line. It's just just struggling to generate the kind of offense that, you know, 
we know this team is capable of. And Kane and Son are a big part of that. But um, but you look you back know, at the, at the first was a. You could, but you look back at the first game, the Southampton game. We didn't struggle to generate those chances, and Kane and Son did have a rough day. I mean, is just is Romero the difference? I mean, I think he's a big difference. I think Southampton is obviously just worse. Um, but you know, we did come under some pressure and go a goal down at the beginning of that game and had to fight our way through it. And yeah, by the end, we were very comfortable. Um, you know, I think expected goals over the course of all of these games are pretty similar um, for Spurs, um, like one, one and a half in that range. Um, so while the Southampton game, we did score a lot. I'm not sure we've necessarily had that game yet where we're just creating tons of really quality opportunities. Um, but you got to believe that Kane and Son can't struggle to the extent that they have. I mean, Son in particular, like Kane has been – pretty okay like he's scoring he's he's not Kane but he's fine yeah Sun is it looks like nothing right now and that is a, maybe a little more concerning I mean he has games um, like this I mean we've seen Sun does this from time to time and I'm not I'm I don't know about you I'm not overly concerned yet I mean I'm, I'm a little concerned in the short term but I guess I would say about Sun is one of the things that was so exciting about last spring was it seemed like he had finally maybe turned a corner and that he was going to put up those kind of consistent level of performances week in week out for a sustained period of time and so seeing him hit a dip even though you're right he's probably going to come out of it you know i don't feel as as great about how far the two of them can take us if we have to worry about sun hitting these patches periodically through the season um you know, that said, I mean, Kulishevsky has obviously stepped up over the course of the season, um, had a quiet first half, but second half was looked really good, really sharp on the ball. Um, he hit another one so, of those, like that cross, that type of cross he hit for Sessegnon in the, in the Southampton game, which is just ridiculous. He hit another one of those for, for Kane when Kane bounced it off the crossbar for, for the, with the header. I mean, he... I think Kulishevsky, I mean, it's someone, our friend Michael, our, you know, podcast trader Michael Cayley was telling us that, um, you know, his son's soccer instructor was talking to him about, like, you know, the cool thing about Kulishevsky is, like, only Spurs fans know how good he is. And I'm not sure that's entirely true, but it feels like it's true. And I think that's really neat in this age of, like, you know, I mean, there's no secrets in world football anymore, but it feels like we have one. I think he's definitely flown under the media radar a little bit and, you know, Kane and Son definitely hogged the headlines, but if he keeps playing like this, I think there's going to be no question that Kulishevsky is a stud. I think the other, uh, sorry, our, 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 our other co-host is having some, uh, some connection difficulties. Uh, ben, I'll go to you instead that, uh, I think oh, the okay. real, the real standout, even in the first half I thought was Perisic. I, I, I think it's impossible not to be very excited about, um, what he can bring to this team because he looked, I mean, he looked real good in the first half. And, I mean, not, not in the first half, but like the whole game. He looked great. And sort of what he was able to create was just really impressive. Yep. I mean, you know, did, did exactly what it said on the tin. He was good on the ball. He created a lot of chances. He took shots. He beat guys. Yeah. 
He's uh, a real live wire that we've been desperately missing uh, on the flanks. Oh, I mean, Brian. Are, Brian, are back, uh, Brian. <laughs> is this real? Oh, you're are muted. You... It's like you never left. Um, did I miss anything good, or was it just the usual stuff? Just the usual stuff. We're talking. Would you, do you have any thoughts to share on uh, Ivan Perisic? I thought he was great. I thought, you know, I, I'm sure Ben already said this, so, but, you know, his set piece delivery was great. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's going to be a nice added piece. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think the fitness is, is all the way there yet. I don't think the, the comfort level with the league is there yet. In terms of, he kept trying to, like, Gareth bail people by knocking the ball, you know, past them and sprint around them to, to get to it and, wasn't really working for him. Uh, so I think he's going to have to get used to the fact that, hey, even some of the mediocre teams have some pretty good athletes on them. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm excited for for more of that. The way he was just able to dig crosses out of nowhere, I mean, was – I mean, that's what stood out to me. It was just he was – I mean – just creating chances out of situations, right? You know, we're not used to seeing our fullbacks be able to do that. And, you know, I think we're so used to, at least I am, I've had, I've kind of had the Danny Rose, Kyle Walker fullback kind of hardwired into my brain as the ideal and seeing a more shifty, you know, sort of clever fullback like him, who's not just relying on his physical abilities, although he is a very strong man. Uh, is different and interesting, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see how it works, Brian. Like you said, when he is a little more adjusted to the league. Well, and I mean, even just having like <clears throat> a Kieran Trippier level ball player, like not that he's quite on the same level as Trippier, but just like you said, just the positions he was able to dig crosses out of, uh, you know, the set piece delivery, like like that's that stuff is great, and and it's it's opening up and creating more opportunities for the front players that, um, you know, hopefully as the season progresses, they'll actually be able to take advantage of. Yeah. I mean, there's one, I think we're probably all thinking of towards the end of the first half where he was like, the ball was going out of play. He was barely had it under control and somehow like whipped it in for Kane. Um, That was like, even a, a perfectly set, fullback on this team preparing to cross isn't going to deliver the ball that well and for him to do it off balance falling down rescuing a ball going out of play was like oh wow yeah this is different yeah and like meanwhile on the other side emerson was just missing crosses all day just to nobody and oh is greg trying to talk is greg trying to talk uh, see, I'm yeah. not the only one. Um, I, I still don't think Emerson's that bad, but boy, that guy can't cross. So the thing with Emerson is I think across the three games so far this season, he's been largely fine. Like, he's not the problem with this team. Uh, and I agree that his crossing wasn't the best in this game, but he did have one opportunity where he put a ball kind of like right between the six-yard box and the penalty uh, and the penalty spot but both of the attackers kind of made the same run and, and neither of them held their run sort of in that area where you would expect someone to be. Um, and so like his crossing numbers look bad, but that was a really good and dangerous ball that he did there. And I think he still continues to be a plus defender as a fullback. Like, you know, you, you need him in that back line. I, I don't think any of our other options are better than him, but 
I don't like the idea of vilifying him just, uh, you know, just because we have to hate one of our wingbacks, just like by, as a rule. Well, I love the idea of vilifying him. And I love the idea of hating somebody just because we got to hate somebody. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's plenty of other people on the team that we could hate instead. I guess I'd say in a game like this, I don't know how much we're benefiting from a plus defender in that position where a plus attacker would do us a lot of good. When that seems to be specifically the area we've been struggling in. And you're right, like we may take him off for Doherty or Lucas or whatever and see an unacceptable drop of quality chances conceded and I'll eat my words. But I don't know. For now, I feel pretty safe in our defensive structure and I'd like to see somebody who can be that extra attacker. Once again, because Kane and Son are so off the pace that like we just need extra guys who can really contribute there. I, I think it, what's, what's frustrating about the right wing back position is it is like... You know, I think for a lot of the stuff we needed this summer, whether we got them or not, like, you know, you, we were kind of drawing up wish lists for who we wanted. Oh, Perisic at left back and, or left wing back, and let's get Bastoni as our new center back, and let's get, you know, Sterling or Richarlson or whoever is our fourth forward. And I feel like the right wing back slot is just relatively barren on the, like, on the sort of global soccer scene i mean there's probably a few guys who are just not in our range that we can't get and then there's you know there's dudes like serginio dest or whoever who are you know completely unproven commodities who have just as many problems as advantages and it's i understand conte is a guy who made victor moses a successful wingback but it's just it's such a difficult position and i think that's partly the reason emerson's still here is I don't think there's a great option there that we're overlooking, which isn't to say we shouldn't come up with a better solution. But, I, I, again, maybe I'm missing something obvious here. It just feels like compared to all these yeah. other positions, there's not, like, a great solution there beyond what we already have. I think you're right. There's not, like, there's not the guy we obviously targeted even, and we we're like, why aren't we getting this guy like Bastoni, who you're, like, kind of frustrated that didn't work out. It's just surely there's something better out there. And... You're right, the I answer guess, might be a Dama Traore or nothing. But. Or a bunch of projects, in which case it's like, okay, well, you got Jed Spence, who's, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think we spent so much time hung up on Jed Spence as being, you know, the right wing back that we were going to buy, and that transfer saga, you know, ended up getting to be more drawn out than I think any of us anticipated. Um, but he's very clearly not someone that is going to play a huge role this year and based on the reporting that's come out since the signing he certainly seems like someone that Conte was just like okay with signing as opposed to someone who Conte had identified and was like yes I want him I want that guy that's my right wing back which is basically what we did with Perisic so uh, yeah I, I don't know like you guys said who who a better option is or what what else is out there um but, you know, I, I, I think it's just tough in this situation. Like, I think there are other things that you could do to improve this squad to that would make Emerson less of a liability. And I'm probably going to be banging this drum all season. But it's just like if we had any more pressing or, or passing or ball progression in our midfield and we didn't rely on Emerson as the right wing back to do that, he wouldn't seem as much of a liability. 
In in the same way that if we play someone that's not Kulisewski up there at, at the right forward spot, he's probably going to look worse because Kulisewski, as we've talked about in the past, does a lot to cover for some of the stuff that Emerson isn't great at. Um, so so if we just had like some of the guys we'll probably talk about on the show or that have been then linked with us in rumors in the past uh, playing in midfield. You, you avoid this sort of weakness in terms of ball progression down that flank. Well, here's the interesting about Emerson, which is getting beyond his abilities as a footballer. He is clearly the vibes guy in our locker room where he just loves being here. And he's just having a good time posting comps and playing, playing the bongo with his other Brazilian buddies. And there is something like, you know, I don't know. There is something I find, maybe I shouldn't, but I find it charming about a guy, especially someone who's not English, who like just sort of enjoys being on Spurs. And I mean, that didn't do Regulon any good. And he certainly looked more promising at points over the years, but you know, like, I don't know. Emerson really likes being here. That, that probably goes a little further with me than it should. Um, he seems like he's having a good time. Like, you know, I would like all of our players to be enjoy being here and having a good time. Uh, the problem is of the, uh, of the Brazilian trio on Spurs, there's maybe only one guy I feel super confident should be here in terms of talent. Um, ben might even think there's no guys in that trio who should be here in terms of talent. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, you certainly – Emerson brings good vibes, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much that's worth, but it seems like it's worth something. I do think it's interesting how we had two fullbacks who I think under different systems would flourish and. I think both of those fullbacks would be a lot better under, you know, sort of systems that played a back four and didn't rely quite so much on fullbacks to progress the ball. But I think it's interesting that Regulon has really fallen off in this team as another guy who seemed to really enjoy being here. It's not like he's like, you know, Brian Heal and looking longingly at the Iberian Peninsula. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, and we all know his sort of deficiencies in a Conte system, but... Emerson has different, but just as many consistencies, and clearly he's willing to knuckle down in a way that, like Sergio wasn't or didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we also have like two pretty solid left wing back options in Perisic and Sessegnon, and like we said, the market for right backs weren't great, and the guys we have aren't great. So sometimes you got to just make the most of it. And you know, if we're gonna have a guy who's like kind of subpar, I'm glad he's at least a real dressing room guy, a guy who like has personality, who's like you can root for and not just like a, a total turd who just feels like a, an anchor around the team in every way possible. Um, so I'm going to make my peace with it a little so bit, just, but you... I really hate watching him. <laughs> so you, but like, you... if he does something good, don't you just feel happy for him? Yeah. Don't you know, like, Oh, that, that really means something to him. Like, look at his little smile when he does a good cross. Like, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I dream of a level like a Spurs team that is at a level where we're not just like cheering on our charming cult figures and just like actually watching like excellent footballers. And then I mean, Ben, you started watching Spurs in like 2006. Like I, mean... I know, I thought I paid my dues with that <laughs> shit. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about, speaking like, of Spurs footballers... I don't think I would love Steve Malbronk if he was on the team today. How I dare you? How, how dare I you? Just... How dare you? Um, I want to talk about another footballer who uh, has divided reaction among Spurs fans, not as much as Emerson, uh, which is uh, Hoiberg, who 
I think one man of the match I don't think was bad in this game, but a lot of Spurs fans, I think, want a better player in that position or at least a more progressive player. Brian, how, how, where do you come down on Hoiberg? Do you have a like secret vendetta against him like you did against Ryan Mason? No, I don't have, I don't have a vendetta against Hoiberg. I think he's not a secret. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, My vendetta against Mason was never a secret. Um, No, I, I don't have any problem with Hoiberg. I think he's fine. Uh, I think my problem with the midfield is just like a general thing where just, they're all like the same guy. Um, Hoiberg's fine. Like his performance was fine. He did some good things. I don't know that he was the best player for Spurs on the pitch, but he was he was fine. I, I, I you know, and that but that's kind of like the top level performance I think that you can kind of expect from Hoiberg. Like is that seven out of ten, and like getting a consistent seven out of ten performance from a player is, is certainly a, a valuable thing to have. And there are lots of games where he is going to do that and not be a problem. But in games where you need something to happen, you need the ball to be progressive, the pitch, you need a line breaking pass. You need, you know, a goal out of nothing. Like generally speaking, he's not that guy. Now look, he scored against Chelsea and like, good for him, whatever. Uh, but he and he and Bentancur so far this season have have not been impressive. I talked about how I didn't think that they'd done anything impressive in our first game. I didn't think they, aside from Hoybier getting the goal in the second game, I didn't think they did anything great there. And they just continue to be present. They and you know I don't know if it's by design that we're just like skipping midfield, but I know that teams specifically Chelsea and specifically Wolves have just really set out to prevent Hoiberg and Bentoncourt from getting on the ball from being able to turn and from being able to get the easy passes into Kane and Son and Kulisewski and that has really really hindered our progression of the ball forward and if they are not good enough on the ball to escape pressure or creative enough passers to make more difficult passes, this is going to continue to be a problem for us. But they were last year to an extent. I mean, it's not like we're playing Luka Modric and, like, you know, Tony Cruz out there. But, I mean, they were making some of these passes. I mean, what I always find a little annoying about Hoiberg, which I think you alluded to, Brian, is like, yeah, it's a 7 out of 10. It's steady Eddie. It's, there's a ceiling to it. We're seeing it right now. Which is fine, but, like, what always bugs me is, like, I feel like he looks better when he plays for Denmark. Like, or at least he's more progressive. Now, maybe this is down to the fact that international football sucks and no one's actually very good at it and he just has more license to do that stuff. But certainly he just, like, tries more stuff going forward for them. And, again, maybe this is it's international football. Maybe it's Conte just doesn't want him doing that at Spurs because it'll leave us exposed. But it's just... It's this, it's good. You get the feeling there's some leadership stuff going on there, although I could, I, I'm not sure how exactly how to quantify that. But you just have this nagging sense of, eh, that could be better. And maybe that's just because, you know, we just have these two kind of defensive midfielders out there. And I don't know, Bentoncourt 
I think feels a little more stable than, than Hoiberg does. And thus I am less frustrated with him. I don't know, but I don't know. It, it always feels like I, I, it goes back to what Ben said about Emerson. And I do think, I, I, I don't think uh, Hoiberg is as bad as Ben thinks Emerson is, but you get the sense of like, we could do better there. Couldn't we? Like we could get a, we could get another midfielder who could, you know, do a little bit better job hitting passes or move or progressing the ball up the field or what have you, which I don't think is entirely a fair thing to say um, about Hoiberg, but I, I don't know. It's hard for me to shake that feeling when I watch him play. Well, and I think, look, we definitely have that midfielder or a midfielder who is certainly capable of some different things already on the team in Basuma. Like Basuma is, you know, one of those press-resistant guys that is capable of carrying the ball forward. Like, his passing game's not any more progressive, but, like, he's he's been sold to us as being, like, a better dribbler, a guy that can, um, you know, progress the ball in that way. And we've been really resistant to using him. Like, I think this was the earliest he'd come on in any match so far, and I think he came on in, what, the 78th minute or something like that? Like, <clears throat> we're not we're not getting to see much of him. And I, I don't know if that is just down to Conte still doing with the whole, you know, run with the guys that got you here situation, or if that's a fitness issue or what the deal is. But like, uh, so far through three games, I, I'm kind of done with the Benton core Hoybeard midfield. You know, I, I'm not there. It is worth thinking about. It's been three games. And frankly, one of those games is really good. Um, but you know, I mean, these guys were on a team that just was whooping everyone's ass for like the last 20 some games of last year or 15, whatever the hell it was. I mean, we've seen them be a successful midfield. It's just, I don't know. Like, and the other thing about Hoiberg is like that guy keeps getting selected by lots of really good managers. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I mean, there is a player who I think has that dog in him for lack of a better term. Like, I think he busts his, out on, his ass out on the pitch. I think whatever – I think he definitely has leadership captain qualities, um, whatever those are, but I think managers have them. Or managers think he has them. I mean, and he does – you know, I mean, he'll put in a shift. He, he will get stuck in. I mean, I see the value in him, but it's, it's just hard to think there's not a better option out there, even if that's probably being at least somewhat unrealistic. Uh, ben, would you – would you sell him to Real Madrid as some of the rumors have said that we're interested in? I, I think as of the recording of this podcast, those rumors are not very serious, but I think it's interesting that Real Madrid, having gotten silly money from Manchester United for for the you know decaying corpse of Casemiro, are all of a sudden interested in Hoiberg as their like, third-string midfielder or whatever it is. I mean... If this was like a month ago, uh, we just bought up a Suma and we had time to sell Hoybeer and buy somebody, like, yeah, fine, take the money. I don't think he's so good that you have to hang on to him. Uh, at this point, with Basuma still not looking particularly fit, I think selling Hoybeer would be crazy. And Skip also not being fit, um, that's just not really a move we can entertain. Uh, so, no, I wouldn't do it now. Uh, but yeah, he's certainly a guy we could upgrade on. Yeah, it just I I, he feels like the kind of guy it is hard to upgrade on in 
in season, if that makes any sense. Even in January, I, I think he is sort of just where he is in the team. I think that is difficult to upgrade on in the middle of a season or right before the transfer window ends. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't have super strong Hoybier takes. Like, I think he's fine. He's limited. I think this whole midfield is, like, not my version of a midfield. But, like, it's clearly the kind of midfield Conte wants to play. He doesn't want the midfielders doing a lot of risky passes. He doesn't want Ndombele's in his midfield. He wants steady eddies, and he wants the ball to move elsewhere on the pitch. And, yeah, I, you know, I grew up in my 20s uh, watching guys like Luka Modric and Dembele and like yeah I want guys who can do that in midfield and get the ball and turn turn a man and shoot up field and make a pass and that's not what we have it's and funny my piece with that but it's, it's funny that we're talking about a midfielder with limitations and I think like I don't know about you guys I think like the midfielder when I think of those like that discussion you were just having Ben the guy who just sort of misses the cutoff of names I'll say out loud is Tom Huddleston, who's great, and his ability to hit long passes really negated what I'm about to say. But, like, you want to talk about limited midfielders who couldn't move around the pitch very much. I mean, you know, he could pass, which made up for a lot. I guess Hoiberg's sort of the inverse, where he'll just run around all day but can't pass. But, yeah, it's the, I certainly agree with you. It is not the Tottenham midfield I grew up with. And it's not that I'm dogmatic about it. It's just sort of... You know, not what I'm expecting, not what I'm used to, not what I'd like if I was building a team from scratch. But this is, I think, you know, you sign Antonio Conte, this is kind of what you're signing up for. And I think we've, you know, we've seen this be a successful midfield. I mean, we we have evidence that this is a successful midfield. And I don't know. I mean, Brian, do you think teams have game planned around this? Or do you think we just run into two weeks of teams who were able to stifle us a little bit? I mean, I think Tuchel is a lot different than what Wolves did because... Wolves never able to translate that into any kind of dominance. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's my concern, is that this is something that teams are going to start to do in terms of uh, figuring out how to press us, how to press the double pivot and prevent us from progressing the ball through the middle. Um, it's certainly something we saw during that kind of crappy run of form we had in the, you know, in February, March of last year. Um and, and while Wolves ultimately weren't successful at it, they, they did turn the game into kind of a grind and a, and a slog. And, you know, look, we 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 got on Jose Mourinho for playing this, like, boring, like, drudgery of football. And I'm not saying that's what Conte is at, at this point or, or what he's shown us in the, in the last few months. But, like, if you don't have a midfield that can move or progress the ball forward, that's what these games are going to look like because that was Jose Mourinho's midfield philosophy was like, it didn't matter what happened here. It only mattered what happened, you know, at the back third of the pitch and at the front third of the pitch and everything in the middle didn't matter. Um, And so I just don't, I I don't like the fact that that's kind of what this match looked like. Um, So I guess, yes, I'm worried about other managers game planning and tacticking a way to take our midfield out of the game and force our, you know, slightly more limited wing backs. And when Romero's not there, our limited center backs to do stuff. Um, Because that's, that's, we don't have other options. If, if Romero and if Perisic aren't doing stuff or if uh, whoever isn't, isn't able to do things, the midfield isn't going to help out. 
Yeah, and you want them to be able to do more. And like, it's frustrating because we've seen them be capable of doing more. We've seen them play better passes than that. We, you know, I, and like they do sporadically in in games this season. But yeah, it sure would be nice if they could collect the ball from a center back, turn out of a press, and like play the ball at field. Like that yeah. seems like it should be a basic requirement of a Premier League midfielder. Yeah. And I I probably sound like I'm I'm dogging these guys more than is probably justified considering, you know, seven points from the first three games were do, were in the top four. But, like, I, you know, it seems to be the one part of the team that this year really hasn't clicked, which is odd because, like Greg said earlier, this is a part of the team that functioned very well in a team that played very well towards the end of last season. So it is interesting to me that it is now kind of a problem which I guess makes me then concerned that other teams have identified that, hey, these guys are fine, but they're limited in what they can do, and here's how we can make them appear more limited. you muted, Greg. You've been muted this whole time. Alas. I think one of the things we yeah. use to... One of the things... like a basic qualification of a Premier League podcaster... <laughs> To be able to pivot from not talking to talking. <laughs> it's a lot harder than you think, honestly. So yeah, I, man, I it's, a, it's a lot harder than you think. Uh, I think I think one of the things that we did see in terms of this team being able to flip a switch a little bit was I thought Richarlson made a real difference when he came on. I mean, obviously that team was pressing a lot in a lot harder in the second half, and I think from Jump Street we looked a lot better. I don't think it was necessarily substitutions, but. You know, and some of it's just son was not having an effective day on the pitch. But I thought Richarlson was doing a really good job of operating in tight spaces, of forcing Wolves into some uncomfortable positions. Frankly, I think he last season would have earned a penalty. Um, I don't know if it's because the refs aren't calling that or the refs don't want to give Richarlson the benefit of the doubt. But I was impressed with his little cameo. I thought it had a lot of verve, a lot of energy, a lot of what I think we were kind of hoping to get him, which was a plan B, get, get with him, which was a plan B. Uh, I don't know. Ben, what was your thoughts on Richarlson? As a Richarlson skeptic on this podcast, what did you think of his cameo in this match? Again, it's fine, full of energy. I, I, I think it's interesting, and maybe we should talk about this, but there seems to be a lot of Spurs fans calling for Richarlison to start over Sun because Sun has been bad. And I think the best you can say for Richarlison is he's, he's looked up for it and lively. And those are good qualities. But, like, he hasn't, like, done a lot in his time on the field. I think he's it's created like, danger in a way that Son hasn't this year, which I don't think is a reason to start him. I think Son is a good enough player that he's earned some time to figure this out because if he does, it's going to be a lot more productive. But I do think Richarlison has caused problems, enough problems that I – I don't agree with him. He's mixing it up, but he's not, like, creating good chances. He's not taking good shots. Like, he hasn't done any of the stuff that Son isn't doing. Mm -hmm. He's just in the mixer. And, like, yeah, that's good. You want a guy to be out there doing stuff, especially when you come on as a sub. But it's not – like, he hasn't had a cameo that's even, like, a Stephen Bergbein cameo yet. It's just been a lot of energy. Again. Am I wrong? Am I missing something from what he's been doing? No, I, well, I mean, I think it's a little. I think his performance against Wolves was a little bit more than that. In that, I, I agree with you; he wasn't creating tons of shots, but he was also creating lots of chaos in the Wolves' defense in a way that 
our front line had not been doing with regularity before he came on. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of verve, and I think people are panicking because Suns looked really off of it. And I think, you know, we'll get to this in a second, but I think Spurs fans are a little nervous because of how Arsenal's looking right now, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Brian, what are your thoughts on Richarlison? So, with Richarlison, I think I'm in the same place as Ben is, um, just in terms of what I've seen from him. Like, the energy's great, the the stuff he's doing running at tired legs is great. Um, I I very much disagree with the calls for him to start over Sun, um, just on the basis that we're going to have a lot of matches coming up, and his opportunities are going to be there. Uh, we don't we don't need to rotate uh, just for the sake of getting Richarlison in the starting lineup. It's much more in our best interest for Sun to play his way into form than anything else. Yeah, I guess I would say I'll leave it up to Conte. If Conte thinks the best way to get the best out of Sun is to give Richarlison a shot and like put some pressure on him, I'll believe that that's the right thing to do. If Conte thinks that he needs to let Sun play through it and like get himself back into form, I'm fine with that also. Like, yeah, it's the kind I of mean, thing that like we don't know enough about Sun's psychology and what's going to actually make him work um, to the level that we know he can, which is just so far superior to whatever Richarlison has ever shown in his career. But like, it's worth that should be the goal: is getting Sun back to his best. You're, you're so absolutely that means right. Starting Richarlison for a week, fine. But I mean, Richarlison's going to get his starts because I think that we're going to see some heavy rotation once we start playing midweek matches and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to keep Sun fresh. It's going to keep us better. I- I've liked what I've seen out of him so far. I don't think it's enough for me to say he should start over Sun unless there's something, you know, like I said, if Conte thinks, you know, okay, Sun, and you, like, sit on the bench and watch watch the Brazilian work for a week, and that'll, like, sort of, you know, light a fire under his ass, and it'll get him moving, then fine, great. Like, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I don't think there's any reason to sit son for Charleston right now but I am happy with what I've seen and it's certainly a better option off the bench than some of the shit we've had to watch in previous years I, I want to talk about I, I feel like Spurs fans are really nervy right now um, and I think it reminds me a lot of you know go back to March or April when you know Spurs were starting to play really well which obviously we're not like you know blowing blowing the doors off the off the car right now but you know, I think every Spurs fan was kind of edgy about it because Arsenal were ahead of us in the table. And Arsenal have really cruised the beginning of the season, and I think it's got a lot of Spurs fans nervous, um, partially because Arsenal fans won't shut up about it. Uh, I, I think, again, I think Arsenal's an improved team this year, but, you know, like Tottenham was in first place under Jose Mourinho at Christmas like a couple of years ago or whatever it was. December, Thanksgiving, whatever whatever the holiday was. Uh, I am, you know, Nuno went undefeated for three games, so I don't want to get, like, too carried away. They haven't played a real team yet. But I don't know. How much do you think the sort of – because I feel like Spurs fans are very nervous about seven points out of nine – seven out of nine points with one of those games being against Chelsea. You know, and I think Wolves is probably, you know, I, I, I don't know, stiffer opposition than we've seen Arsenal get this year. I don't know. I'm not worried yet, but it's certainly not fun to watch Arsenal cruising every week. Um, how much, Brian, I, how much do you think that's playing into sort of general unease I feel like I'm getting out of Spurs fans right now? I mean, it's probably playing too much of a factor. Um, I could not care less about what they're doing against, you know, 
these the crappy teams that they've played so far this season. Like, um, but definitely it doesn't help. Just like the our sort of ingrained inferiority complex. Um, you know, despite us having been better than them for the last couple of seasons, I think our we we still have that thing in us that makes us like, oh, what if they're better than us this year? Um, and you know, the all or nothing being a thing, and them taking up a lot of like media presence right now, and you know, the, signing Jesus, signing Zinchenko, like, uh, and and like the universal love in that people on the internet seem to have for uh, Arteta is probably just very much contributing to the neuroses of Spurs fans. Um, but just generally, like, we should not care at all about what they've done so far. Like, good for them. Nine points from three games. Like, that's great. Call me when you play a real team. Yeah. They ain't played nobody. Uh, I mean, they definitely they have the easiest schedule to start the season of anybody. So that's definitely part of it. I think the thing that really drives me nuts is – you know, we talked a lot over the summer and then the build up to the season of like what it would take for a Spurs title challenge to really manifest and seeing Liverpool look like they're completely imploding, you know, see Man City nearly shitting the bed, really shitting the bed against Newcastle this week. Um, you know, that feeling of like it's, it's there, like we could do it. And instead of us being the team on top, poised to take advantage of this we're watching arsenal sit on top of the table right now i think just makes it a little annoying you know even though we're only two points back we're like right in the top four it's three games in the season they haven't played anybody we've played chelsea you know we've even beyond chelsea we played harder teams it's like it would be nice to see us swing our dicks around a little bit and see the kane sun kulishevsky front three that we were like yeah this is the best front three in england and like we're just not seeing that at all. You know, they're not they're not scoring. They're not they're not the guys who were the top three of the top four scorers in England in twenty twenty two. Like that was what we were kind of leaning on going into this and we just haven't gotten it yet. And I think we've been here with Conte and Spurs and Doom and Gloom and Panic Mode and whatever and the ship readied itself and like to have this level of panic with two wins and a draw is probably silly, but I'm also extremely guilty of it. So, I mean, I think the thing for me is we also still have a time of recording, what, eight days left in the transfer window. Like, and I feel like this last week is going to be kind of crazy in terms of all the business that we're going to see just because, teams haven't moved players on they've been trying to shift salary and loans haven't materialized like we're gonna see a lot of stuff um for probably all of the the big teams in in the premier league change in the next week and you know we may have two new signings three new signings by the time we podcast again like maybe three new signings maybe you never know they might all be players that we loan back to their club, but, uh, you know, anything could happen. Um, well, so it's interesting, I, so I but it's interesting you say that because we've been linked with, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Ma- Ma- Malinovsky, is that Malinovsky, is that, okay, um, out of Atlanta, who is 29, which is Pro not... Putin j- Greg. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely a... Uh, 
a, a deep state agent on this podcast um, from Russia. Um, but we, um, we've been linked with him. And he's, he's, he's sort of a, I don't know, forward, creative midfielder or attacking midfielder from Atlanta. He's 29, which is not generally the age of players we buy. But he's kind of, I mean, you listen to us talk about, like, where our deficiencies are. He's kind of the player that would be nice to, like, chuck on to change things up from our from our normal way of play, uh, or at least a player like him. I, I, we've been also linked with Ziyech, I think, um, who isn't exactly the same as him, but sort of within the same ballpark in terms of what he can offer us. So, I, again, it's not clear how serious these links are, but it certainly seems like we're playing around with the idea that we, we want to change things up when, a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing that, that Malinovsky and, and Ziyech both would give you is an alternative to Kulisevsky. Because right now, if you if you pull Kulisevsky off, you lose the creator and ball progressor in your front three. And your replacements for him are like Lucas, who we've seen try to play that role in Nuno's system, and it just it doesn't work. So... So you certainly you get more depth there, and then also, like Greg said, you get a little something different, like Malinowski, someone that you, allows you to play three-five-two with a more attacking midfielder in there. Who maybe if you're really chasing a game, you put on in place of you know Hoiberg and Bentoncourt. Maybe you know who who can play a little bit of false nine if he has to. Who you know he does a lot of different things, um, and he he's a re- he. It's a really good passer of the ball, and he also just he hits kicks the ball so hard, um, which I really appreciate. I think people that just kick the ball very hard um, are a dying breed, and I think we should embrace that. Yeah, I mean we have a few of those, but why not collect them all? I think you know since we've been linked with Erickson at the beginning of this transfer window, we've been kind of toying with alternatives in that creative 10 guy you can play across the forward line pseudo midfielder you can stick in a midfield three kind of dude um you know we were linked with james madison for a little while and that didn't quite pan out um and now we're on to malinowski and he's very much in that mold um he is older but i think given what we want him for it's like kind of fine. Like if we buy a James Madison and like the peak of his career, it's harder to fit him into a Conte system who doesn't rotate a lot. And, you know, are you really like, are you wasting this guy? Is he happy to be on the bench? Is it going to cause problems? And it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case with Malinowski. Like he is, even though he's 29, he doesn't have a lot of minutes on his legs. He's been kind of a rotation guy for his whole time. Um, at Atalanta, so I think he'll be fine coming off the bench for us and and, and being that guy. Um, probably just happy to get paid and, and move to England or something. But you know, even at his age, we'll probably have to sign him to a three four year contract. And the idea of getting a guy you know into his early thirties isn't great. Um, he's a guy who hasn't put a lot of mileage on his legs over those years, and so you kind of hope that he has a a late extended peak kind of ahead of him, but you know, he's, he's also, he he's also not a winger or a fullback. So, I mean, right. It gives us something different that we yeah. really need. I mean, he's not, you want to go to a, a three, five, two or go to a four, 
three three or something, he's a guy who can switch that up and like give us something that we don't have. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see us get another signing in. I, I think I think the end of this window is going to be kind of crazy, to be honest with you. I don't know if we're going to get in on it, but I feel like a lot of teams are trying to unload players, and it's going to get real weird real fast. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what we do. Uh, next up, we have Forrest. I have no idea how to preview this because I feel like their roster changes every week. Um, I, I don't know. Are you got What do you guys – Brian, what do you think is going to happen against Forrest? Um – Hopefully we will play better. I think that would be nice. <laughs> um, no, I, unlike you, I, I I don't I don't have enough of a grasp on how they play or even who's on their team. Uh, you know, they they've looked good in in spurts. They they looked okay beating West Ham. They just drew their last Premier League game uh, with Everton, who are or bad, so I, I I don't have a good feel for how good they are or or what they even do at this point. I think you know these next few games for for Spurs where we've got Forest, West Ham, Fulham, like these are great opportunities for the guys that haven't been playing well to step up. You know, like Ben was talking about earlier, like getting Sun firing, like they this is a good game for him to like try to play good again. Um, you know, so like, uh, I, I think I expect us to win. I don't expect Steve Cooper and Forrest to like spring any crazy tactical surprises on us. I think he's just trying to figure out which 11 players to put on the field in some amalgamation of a formation. Ben, you feeling confident? Yeah. They've been very erratic. Like, they got crushed by Newcastle. They beat West Ham pretty well and then drew to a bad Everton. Um, I guess they won today in their in their cup game. But they bought a lot of players and mostly bought, like, kind of smartly. But, it, I mean, you got to think it is just too soon for them to have put, even if, like, they end up having a decent season because of all the money they've spent. You just got to feel like it's probably too soon for them to put it all together in a way that can really challenge what a robust tactical setup that Conte brings. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think this should be a good exercise for us. And if it's not, I will probably start panicking. Well, we shall see. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up and get ready to panic uh, for Ben. Or Ben, where can people find you on the Internet? I, 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 need, I forgot my whole routine already. Wow. Well, if you'd like to find me on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at Brett Rainbow. And uh, Brian, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. And don't forget to find me on Twitter at Brian Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, U Spurs.